This is a message from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Flemington, New Jersey. Come and worship with us every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for our traditional service or at 10 a.m. for our contemporary service. You may have uh, noticed that the song that we uh, just did during the offering and uh, was a little bit different than what was in your uh, worship folder, and you're also going to notice that um, the message that I'm going to share with you this morning is different than what is listed in your worship folder, and uh, this isn't um, uh, by mistake, it's not by accident, in fact, it's a very intentional move on our part, uh, just in light of uh, some of the things that are happening in our world, and uh, now, in, in a very big way, in a significant way, are, have, uh, has, has come and um, certainly is, is um, uh, right at our, our doorstep. Uh, we thought it might be a good idea to deviate from what we had planned a couple of weeks ago, ago to do today. Uh, and to shift that and kind of speak to uh, some of the, uh, uh, the, the things that, again, like I said, are, are happening in our world and our lives today, certainly being uh, felt and um, uh, impacts our, our, certain our community and uh, to the extent that we are part of that community, uh, even impacting those of us here in uh, God's family at St. Paul. And so um, that's all to say that uh, it's going to be just a little bit different than what was in the worship folder, but that is uh, by design, uh, last-minute design, but it's still by design. Uh, because of that, though, I'm going to ask you to join me uh, in your Bible. So take your Bibles out, because this is a passage, the passage we're going to look at this morning. We didn't read it. It's, it's, it's going to come out of left field for you otherwise. So go ahead and pull out your Bibles. You can pull out your smart devices if you have that. Uh, go on your Bible app uh, any way you want to, but go out to Matthew chapter 14, Uh, If you're using the blue Bibles that are in front of you in the pew pocket, uh, you'll find this on page 796. So it's page 796, Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 25. So when you get to Matthew 14, just find verse 25 and join me there. Page 796, Matthew 14, starting at verse 25. When we get here uh, in God's Word in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 25, we find out that the the disciples, they are in a boat. And you'll notice at verse 25, it jumps in and says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. And so right away, what we see here is that uh, you've got Jesus' disciples. They're following Jesus. uh, And yet, uh, obviously, they still encounter a moment of profound fear and anxiety uh, in their life. And all that, all that uh, the reason I bring that to our attention is because what that means is that just because we are followers of Jesus Christ, it does not mean that our life will be absent of frightening and anxious things. Uh, now, some people might try to tell you that. Uh, they may try and tell you that as soon as you become a follower of Jesus, that life gets infinitely easier and profoundly less scary. Uh, but the problem with all of that is the only person who does never say that to you is Jesus himself. He never tells you that that's what your Christian walk is going to be with him. And so that means that we all have things that that we desperately want to avoid in our life, things that we're afraid of happening, uh, things that we're anxious about. And the question for us today is, what is that thing for you? What is it? Um, are you afraid, for instance, of, a, of, a, of your health failing, maybe, or, or maybe of receiving some kind of terminal diagnosis somewhere in your future? Maybe, maybe that's the greatest fear for you. Maybe that's what causes anxiety in your life. Uh, or are you afraid of, of some particular relationship dissolving and falling apart or becoming dysfunctional someday? Or, or are you afraid of being perceived in a certain way by, by your peers or your friends or, or, or your work associates or your relatives, right? Uh, or maybe today, 
What has your fear quotient and your anxiety level on the rise is the rapid spread of and the significant impact of the coronavirus. The fact that maybe that's going to impact your health, your wealth, and your well-being. Maybe that's what has you going these days. What is it? What is your great big fear? What is causing you anxiety in your life today? As a follower of Jesus Christ, there's really no guarantee that we will have a life or live a life without fear or without those things that we're anxious about coming true. But you see, what people of faith do differently, it's not that we avoid fear, it's not really even that we conquer fear, but that in our fear, we perceive something that others do not. So let's jump back to our story now, picking up at verse 27. We left them in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It's very late at night. It's really, really dark. There's a storm that comes up. Uh, There's no motor on their boat. There's no radio on their boat. Uh, They have no place to plug in their iPhones, and their batteries are getting low. Okay, you got it? You're there? It's a bad situation. And, And they see this thing walking out on the water, and they presume that it's a ghost, and they are desperately afraid. Take a look at verse 7. It says, But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Friends, when we are faced with frightening things, we tend to focus on two things in the midst of that fear. We tend to focus on the energy this bad thing is going to cost us should we have to fight against it. And we focus on the evil that would take place should we fight against it and lose to it. Now, part of being a wise person is taking these things into consideration. So if you are facing something frightening, it is not horrible or unwise or sinful or bad For you to sit back and think, wow, what is it that's going, what is it going to cost me to fight against this thing? Because I have to fight against it. And what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? You need to be wise. We need to think about those things. Absolutely. That's why you see what you saw when you walked in this morning. We're using the things that God puts at our disposal to try and fight back against this thing. That's not an unwise thing. That's not unreasonable. Uh, This morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you'll notice that we're not going to offer the common cup, and and we're going to make sure that as you receive the host, that you receive it in your hands only. So there are certain things that we can and should do, and there's nothing wrong or unwise or unfaithful about those things. But let me ask you, what happens if you stay focused on those things and you continually dwell on those things? What happens It drains you of your will and your fight and and it keeps you in a place of sadness and fear and frustration and anxiety. You see, what people of faith do is, while we are tempted to focus on all those other things, in the middle of a storm, here's what we do. We perceive something else. You see, when Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid, he's not saying that you should never have fear. But rather, in the midst of the scary moments, in the midst of the darkness of the storm, he says, perceive me. See me. What does he say to Peter? Look at it. He says, it is I. Peter, I am here. 
in the middle of the scary thing, what people of faith do is we perceive the person and the power of Jesus Christ. And perceiving the person and the power of Jesus Christ, Jesus will assert, will fundamentally change how you experience that scary thing. So yeah, you can focus on the energy that it will take for you to fight against the wind and the waves. You can focus on the evil outcome should the wind and the waves win that battle. Or, or in the middle of it, you can focus on the fact that Jesus is right there, that Jesus is present. And let your perception of the person and the power of Jesus Christ fundamentally change how you experience the storm. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Now, if you grew up with this story, like I did, maybe at some point you kind of wondered why it is that Jesus was walking on the water in the first place. I mean, Jesus really had a lot of choices at his disposal, didn't he? I mean, uh, he, he could go out to the, into, to the boat in the middle of the storm. I mean, he had a lot of choices. He, he's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He could do it a lot of different ways. He could do a lot of different things. For instance, he could, have just, he could swim out to him, right? And if he did that, he would have exhibited a breaststroke that would make an Olympic swimmer just jealous, right? That's just the way it would have been. Um, you know, he, 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 could have, he could have flown out there like, like a superhero, like Superman, right? Uh, when we do chapel here in midweek, we just taught our kids a song, Jesus is my superhero. He could have done that. He could have flown right over the wind and the waves and just landed right smack dab in the middle of the boat. He could have done that. Why is it that Jesus walked on the water rather than swim through it, fly over it, or just magically appear in the middle of it? Why is it that Jesus walked on the water? Well, honestly, it has to do with first, the first century understanding of both walking and water. See, a first century understanding of what it means to walk and what it means to be on the seas. Uh, what I mean by that is that in the first century, the water, the open seas in particular, was a very dangerous place. It was a place where storms would come up from out of nowhere, especially on the Sea of Galilee. It was a place where darkness was always underneath you. Uh, if you were in a boat or, or swimming in the water, uh, the darkness of the deep was always there. And no matter how brightly the sun would shine in the sky, you could only see so far below you. And there were creatures, scary, unknown creatures in there as well. And so the sea represented a place of danger and uncertainty and, and, and darkness lurking around you. In fact, it became a cultural metaphor for all of that is frightening to you and, and out of your own control. People would, people would reference the sea as a way of reference the fact that in life there are scary things lurking that are outside of your control, that are, that are, nowhere, uh, that are that, that out of nowhere they will, they will take you over and even take you under. So that was a powerful image in the first century world. Likewise, the idea of walking on something was a show of power in the ancient world. If, if you were going to conquer your enemies, it was said that you would tread on them. You would walk confidently and calmly right on top of them, over the top of them, and that which you have conquered. And so you see, Jesus walking on water is not just Jesus simply performing a cool trick. This is Jesus sending a message to his disciples and to the rest of the world. The fact that he is treading on all of the uncertainty. He is walking confidently and calmly on all that is frightening in this world. He is treading on your troubles. He is stomping on what scares you. He is waltzing on all of your worries. He is saying, look, I am the most powerful person in the world. I tread on every uncertainty and trouble. That's who I am. 
And that's the message that Jesus is sending. And so what people of faith do is we recognize that. And in the midst of a storm, we say, Jesus, Jesus, he's the one. He's the one who treads on my troubles. He's the one who walks upon my worries and shows his power over all of that stuff. And in the midst of whatever issue or storm or frightening thing that we are experiencing, and we do experience those things, we do not focus on the wind and the waves. Rather, we perceive the power in the person of Jesus Christ in the middle of the waves, in the middle of those storms. And perceiving him is meant to shape then how we experience the frightening thing that is before us. You know, for many people, one of the barriers to believing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the fact that, that, um, that there are frightening and scary things in this world. And, and so they'll say things like, well, if there are frightening and scary things in this world, then how can I really believe in a good and gracious God? You know what? Okay, I get you. I get it. I, I get that, that line of thinking. But what if I could show you someone who can empathize with and understand all of your fears and has the power over all of the things that you are afraid of? Uh, That person would be worthy of your faith and hope and belief and trust in the middle of life storms and problems, right? Well, dear friends, don't you see? That's what we have in Jesus Christ. What people of faith hold on to is that Jesus Christ in his life and his death and his resurrection is both victim of all of our fears and victor over all of our fears, which means that he has unmatched empathy for everything we are afraid of and he has unmatched power over all of the things that we are afraid of. For instance, uh, maybe your greatest fear in life is that you may be rejected. Rejection, that's just, that just, that's a big fear for you. Well, guess what? Jesus was rejected on the cross. Your greatest fear may be suffering, maybe suffering from an illness or from a disease even. Well, guess what? Jesus suffered on the cross. Maybe your greatest fear is, is loneliness and isolation. Guess what? Jesus was utterly, completely alone and isolated on the cross. Your greatest fear may be facing death and dying. Guess what? Jesus faced death and he died on the cross. You see, Jesus has experienced every possible fear that you have, only he's done it at the greatest degree. But not only did he put himself underneath those fears, not only was he crushed under the weight of loneliness, of suffering, of of struggle, of persecution, not only was he killed by those things, but then three days later, what did he do? He rose. He rose from those things and he showed his power over all of those things. And so what we have in Jesus is one who knows the depth of every fear that you could face, but one who has also demonstrated his power over every fear. He is both victim of your greatest fears and victor over your greatest fears. And so in the middle of our worries, our heart looks for him because he knows the worst thing that could happen. And he has shown his power over the worst thing that can happen. And so we look to him. It's not about avoiding fear or conquering fear, but about perceiving Jesus who knows it and has shown his power over it in the midst of our fears.
That's what it's about. Now, practically speaking, maybe some of you are wondering, you know, well, what does that look like, Pastor Bob? What does it look like for us to focus on Jesus in the midst of our fears? And to that, I would just say this. I would say that it comes back to what you consume and what you take into your heart and your mind when you are afraid. Um, Louis Zamberini, maybe you're familiar with his story. He was a fighter pilot in uh, the Pacific uh, during World War II. And his plane was shot down when he was over the Pacific, and he floated by himself for like 46 days. Now, he survived that ordeal, and he said uh, later on, he said that one of the great temptations when you are floating in an open ocean for 46 days, hungry and thirsty and wondering whether you're going to live or die, the greatest temptation is to drink the water. It's, it's, It's to try to drink from the ocean. And he said, you even start to try to convince yourself, you know what, maybe I'm going to be the exception to the rule, and I can drink in salt water and survive. But he said, obviously, you have to work really hard to fight that, that instinct because if you drink that water, it will dehydrate you and it will cause you to start hallucinating. And, and then shortly thereafter, you will die. So you cannot drink the water that causes the waves or it makes it worse. Oftentimes, when we are in a season of great fear and great struggle, we, we will drink the water that causes the waves. When, when you're diagnosed with something scary and, and you sit online and surf through like WebMD and you look at every possible horrible thing that could happen, guess what? You are drinking the water that causes the waves. Or or, or we will get all worked up about what's happening in politics, right? And and hey, yes, we should be engaged. We should be informed, absolutely. But when we do that, we will have the the news playing, you know, in our homes and ringing in our ears 24 hours a day. And I'm just saying that when you do that, you are drinking the water that causes the waves. Or we will have a relationship that is sideways and we're afraid that it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse and we're afraid that we're going to be continually misunderstood through it and so we do nothing but complain about it and complain about this person and we focus on this person. When you do that, we are drinking the water that causes the waves and then we wonder why we don't feel any better and that the fear does not go away. Well, it's because we are drinking the water that causes the waves and we're making things worse. And that will be your temptation. Your temptation will be to do just that, to drink from the thing that is causing all of the problems. But dear friends, if you do that, it will kill you. And so instead of drinking the water that causes the waves, what people of faith do is we take in three things. And we do this as a way of focusing on and perceiving Jesus Christ. We take in prayer, We take in his people, and we take in his promises, and we do that with relentless repetition. You see, in the midst of fearful and anxious moments, what people of faith do is we pray, we reach out to the people, and we fill our lives with his promises, and in particular, we fill our lives with the scriptures that tell us and remind us exactly who Jesus is and what he has done and how good God is and what his plans are for us and for this world. So we pray, yes, we pray, we pray, Lord, help me. And we reach out to his people and we say, you know what? I'm scared. Comfort me. Comfort me with the comfort that God has first given to you. 
And we fill our hearts with the promises of Jesus Christ through the words of Scripture. In fact, I would say that maybe what would be a very good idea for all of us, especially during these days, is if we would agree and commit right now that for every minute we spend updating ourselves about the coronavirus, about the stock market, and about the upcoming elections, that we would spend at least one, maybe and more, more probably at least two minutes in God's Word allowing ourselves to be reminded of God's promises, of God's care for us, of his love for us. And just come before him and say, God, tell me through your word, tell me, remind me who you are so that I can see you clearly even in the midst of this storm. That's what people of faith do. Let me read the, uh, the end of the, this section of Scripture with you. Uh, Peter gets out of the boat, he walks on water, and he comes to Jesus. It says, but when he saw the wind, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And be, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Your friends, Jesus is teaching Peter and us a lesson in this moment. But he's not teaching Peter, as, as this text is, is oftentimes wrongly taught, that, that somehow that if you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, that you can conquer any storm and that you can achieve anything you desire in life. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying to Peter and to you and to me is that if you take your eyes off of Christ in the middle of the fearful thing, you will experience that thing in a profoundly different way. If in the middle of this thing, in a, 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 you, 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 know, you people of faith take their eyes off of Jesus Christ, off of the finished and fear-defined work of Jesus Christ, we will experience it in a profoundly different way. We will feel the waves to a greater degree. We will fear the water beneath our feet. Even though Jesus is right there with us, as we feel as though we are, we will feel as though we were, are sinking and, and drowning because we have started to focus on the wind and the waves rather than on Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, do not fear, I get it. It sounds like it's impossible and crazy, right? And we all know that we're going to be scared in this life. But when you are scared... Go ahead, recognize it. Okay, I'm scared. When you're frightened, call it out. Yes, I'm frightened. But in the middle of it, perceive Jesus who is waltzing confidently on top of your worries, who is treading on your trouble, who is stomping on the things that scare you, and who is there with you saying to you, I love you. And I am here for you. I've got you. You are mine. And he tells us, yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But, he says, take heart. For I have overcome the world for you. So do not be afraid. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you please stand and join me for prayer?